0: This is an ABC podcast. There, there is no other alternative for a Prime Minister than the rule of law. To Scott Morrison, stop dealing with this as a political problem and start doing the right thing. Not so much a tin ear as a wall of concrete. Having children doesn't guarantee a conscience. Women who have put up with this rubbish and this crap for their entire lives. I've had a gut ball. I have had an absolute gutful. Welcome to the party room. I'm Patricia Carvelis, the host of RN Drive and Afternoon Briefing. And I'm Frank Kelly from RN Breakfast. And you're listening to a special uh, edition of the
1: party room. It's the post budget wrap that Pika and I like to do to get in early. Don't want to wait till. Later in the week, this is uh, an important budget to look at because, as the Treasurer describes at PK, it's his second pandemic budget. And boy, did the dollars flow last night. $29 billion worth of tax cuts for truckies, tradies, teachers and nurses, to quote the Finance Minister Simon Birmingham, and big spending, $68 billion worth of spending for training, aged care, child care, mental health care, women's health, domestic violence services, infrastructure, more road and rail. The government loves that. Um, Andrew Proben from the ABC called it the hot chocolate budget after their hit single, Everyone's a Winner Baby. And I think that's pretty much true.
0: Yeah, look, absolutely. This is a budget that you can't look at divorced from an election cycle. It's an election budget setting agenda. The Prime Minister did say this morning in a series of interviews that he intends to go to the election next year. But we know that prime ministers can change that at a whim if they change their minds. And I think this sets the coalition up to neutralise some of the very difficult issues that were dogging them. That's what this is about, to fix the areas where they were vulnerable and to keep on that kind of big spending agenda, which they rightly you know, have come to the conclusion that they need to continue to kick down the road ideology and stay on this path because we are in a unique set of circumstances because of the global pandemic. That's right.
1: And, you know, I don't take issue with the big spending because the economists are telling them to do that, to support the economy. As Chris Richardson put it, this is a a year when policy and politics collide. Um, But when I talked to you last night straight off the budget, I described it. I came out of the budget lockup and called it a -a whack-a-mole budget because the government is literally, Scott Morrison, literally hitting every tricky issue or policy area on the head with some cash to quieten people down. Now, normally and ordinarily, yes, we would look at that through a post-election lens, if you like, and think about John Howard. He used to call it clearing off the barnacles before mm. an election. I think that's what Scott Morrison's doing. But I also think that's Scott Morrison's modus operandi. He's a bit risk-averse. He's very pragmatic. So something calling is causing him pain, and he's not actually that... Vested in it or doesn't care one way or another, particularly as a personal ideological thing, and he is not a man of great ideology, really then I think he's happy just to sort of get it fixed and get it off the agenda and move on because he wants to be seen as the guy, this is how he operates, whether it's an election year or not, the guy who gets things done. And that's what he likes to do, clears things off the problem table.
0: Yeah, and you can see it, right? Uh, If We can literally list it. So from aged care, we've got this $17.7 billion for the aged care sector. Which
1: the government had to do because he called the Royal Commission and this is
0: direct response to the Royal Commission. Yeah, but it's still short of what the 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 sector, the royal commission was calling oh, for. Short. They wanted it you know ten billion dollars a year, it's underfunded by ten billion dollars a year. And I see some flaws still in this strategy. So yeah, okay, they've absorbed the cost, if you like, and they've they've made this promise. But there's not an ongoing mechanism for how to fund it. and if it's still short and you need more money to fund this sector properly, then this levy style idea might still need to be revisited. But again, we talk about ideology. The government is not going to impose a levy at this time in the political cycle. It wants to run the line that it's not about taxes and hikes.
1: And that is political. That is pre-election. I'll give you that.
0: Oh, of course. It's it's political and, and it's about the government saying, you know, we're not going to put new new taxes on you or new levies. But the sustainability of funding for this sector is a real question. So, yes, it's a political fix, it's a short-term fix, it's a four-year fix, and it's still not enough over that period. But what happens after? And we don't want this sector to be at the will of governments um, changing their ideas or, or cutting cutting spending at any point? You no. Won't.
1: Well, governments always cut spending. When they're a few years on, there's efficiency dividends that will be provided. But this should be a sector that is funded by consolidated revenue, to be frank. I mean, this is, uh, you know, older Australians and there's more and more of them. Um, and it needs to be funded properly. And for many years now, not just this government, but previous governments have underfunded it. Not only have they underfunded it, they haven't put in the accountability measures and the quality measures that need to be there. And I suppose in... One thing I would say in the government's defence of not putting all the money in that the sector requires now is because there are productivity roadblocks here. A lot of the money required is for better care, better care levels. The government has agreed with the Royal Commission that um, it'll fund uh, a minimum 200 minutes of frontline care per resident per day, 40 minutes of that to be delivered by a registered nurse, that's an inbuilt staffing ratio that is really going to do a lot to change the system in the short term, but it's not enough. Mm. And yet, even with that, I think it's doubtful, talking to Annie Butler from the Nurses' Federation on breakfast, doubtful that we've got the workforce that can actually deliver that yet. Now, the government's got funding for 33,000 extra training aged care places, not registered nurses, uh, aged care workers, but that's over two years. So I think we're going to have real staffing problems in the short term to deliver the kind of care we need. That will take time to build, but you're right, it's short of what's needed and there will have to be more. And I think in this program, as well as in mental health, I think there are some issues about transparency and accountability, you know, a lot of money a day extra per resident uh, in aged care from the government in this. That doesn't sound like much, but it adds up to $3.2 billion a year. I can't find anything in this package to ensure that that $10 a day per person, which goes into the hands of the providers, a lot of them private companies with shareholders, that that actually, there's anything that requires proof that that's going to $10 extra of better care, better food, better staffing. You know, we can't
0: just be shilling out that kind of money without accountability. Accountability is key. Look, if you look at some of the other measures we also saw, and you mentioned it, mental health, more than $2 billion committed to mental health. There's the women's security package and more money for domestic violence services, legal aid. And, of course, we know that that's come in the wake of the Brittany Higgins allegations, but other stories too. That is not the only story, but, of course, that was just this you know rocket through the parliament when, when that was uh, the story that emerged and that was first reported. So you know, the list goes on, right? You mentioned some of them, but I think it's worth just giving us a sense of what a big deal this is. There's new traineeships and apprentice places too. So
1: 170,000 new nothing apprentices. Nothing to scoff
0: at. That is a big number, right? And that is significant too. So... I think they need to be given credit for broadly, as we say, ticking off a lot of the barnacles or problems and if they're problems, addressing them. With like a focus our... on jobs and training, yeah. that's good. Right, and they need to do it. But at the same time, if you look at the childcare reforms, more money, but where's the structural reform? Where's the new thinking when it comes to the way we think about women's participation in work and also what's best for children. Well, how's about
1: the fact that $1.7 billion in childcare gets lumped into the women's economic and security and safety package? I mean, $1.7 billion for childcare comes under the women's heading. You know, last time I looked, most couples many men and women are responsible for their children. It shouldn't be a women's issue. Now, it's a, it's a women's workplace participation issue, I suppose, because the way our society is structured. But that's the structural reform I think you're talking about. Let's structure our workforce so that it's easier and more acceptable and, in fact, preferable for women and men to share some of the parenting, for instance, and make our workplaces reflect that and then that will change, that will also be a measure to get more women back so into So imagine the if
0: the government led on this in the way that it even framed it. You're right. It's not in the women's subsection. This is actually a collective responsibility too, not just men, women, but actually as a society we have to ensure that our children are well looked after so that both parents can work or three parents, I don't know, whatever sort of situation people are in so that we can, you know, increase productivity and have children in the best environment possible so that down the track when they start school, they're also ready and they're also ahead. So all of those issues, I feel fundamentally have still been largely papered over. Although I do give the budget like a tick for at least going there on a range of these issues. What
1: do you think of the women's package? This three point, I think it's three point four billion dollar package overall. It includes the one point one billion dollars for domestic violence and family law issues and changes, many of which have got a big tick from that sector, and that's not an easy sector to please. But overall, this package it's a direct response to the fact that the government got absolutely caned after the last budget for basically doing nothing for women, and then we course the um, as you say the few or in the government's failed response to the allegations from Brittany Higgins, the way they handled those whole allegations of rape and the tone-deaf response from the Prime Minister down really on this. That's why we've got this spending. Mm. It's good we've got this spending. But overall, how do you see that
0: package? Is that—is it transformative? I wouldn't call it transformative. That's a good question, though. I think it's a good uh, apology for the cliché, but a good yeah. down payment. I'd like to see... I think apology works. <laughs> I think... it's the beginning of something. I worry that this will be sort of a one-off aberration. Oh, we cared about the women. Let's move on with our lives. Um... I think this now has to be the centrepiece of the way we start thinking about our community. So uh, the reason the, women's sec- look, the the domestic violence services have given it a tick is that is important funding. But let's not forget there have been cuts in the past, so some of it is actually restoring some funding.
1: But we should just tell people what's there. There's $129 million for women's legal services, and they're coping with a huge demand, a surge in demand in domestic violence response. There's money there for the shelters, uh, there's money there for these um, escaping domestic violence payments they're called so that it's a trial for only two years and that's slightly problematic but it's a new policy that would give women access to a five thousand dollar grant fifteen hundred in cash three and a half thousand dollars in kind for a rental bond or a new fridge or whatever you needed if you have to escape a violent situation that's been given a big big tick by the Mm. sector and also a hundred million dollars for children's contact centres this is a real blockage in the family law services set up at the moment the courts are giving Parents access, often men access to their children but it's supervised so they have to make an appointment at a supervised contact centre and they're all full, there's not enough of them. So people are having to wait months and months and months for supervised access, that's causing problems in relationships in those parental relationships, it's causing some unsafe, unsupervised provision for children and this is going to go a big way to helping that. So that is certainly a big tick I think from the the family law courts.
0: Yeah, I think it's a substantial and decent package but um, you mentioned the two year trial Uh, okay, you try things but let's then when they're working and I suspect there will be some success, let's embed them let's keep them until we actually get gender equity and I'm sad to say that I don't see gender equity coming quickly so I think these are long term funding issues until we do it. I mean, as I said to my daughter the other day, I can't wait till we don't have to call ourselves feminists, right? Because we won't. There's equality. Why would we call ourselves that? But i can always I can't... call myself a feminist. Well, Let me yeah. Put that but it, once, once you achieve it, right? I'm talking in a utopia, yeah. Fran. You don't need to. But we're not there. We're not even nearly there. I just want to say and we, we need to do this before we wrap up. We're going to have a big bumper edition, the normal edition of um, The Party Room tomorrow with our guest, Shane Wright. But let's just zoom out. Some of the big assumptions, right, which we have. We've talked about the measures, but not the assumptions. We've got the vaccine rollout, which is, according to the budget, meant to finish by the end of the year.
1: Every one of us who wants it will
0: have our two jabs by the end of the year. Meant to. But then the international borders are a huge issue. So they, according to the budget, start opening up, right, by mid next year. Much later than I was expecting the government would be saying. Yeah, but that just demonstrates, doesn't it, how um, how much the politics has changed around this, and how this prime minister is now really singing from the song sheet of the state premiers too. It's becoming Which is a, a change lot... of tune. Oh, absolutely, because it's politically popular. That though, if you look at listen to the business sector, yeah, they're pretty uncomfortable with the pace of that. If the rest of the world's starting to open up, that's intrinsically linked though to our vaccination rollout. Do we think everyone will be vaccinated by the end of the year? I absolutely Uh -uh. hope so, but uh, I'm not that certain that's going to happen. And so those, a lot of the assumptions are based on no third wave, no significant breakout. The state borders remaining open. A lot of assumptions that won't necessarily go according to plan. So yeah, just just watch that space. One other thing I want to mention before we say goodbye is the losers. Now, every budget has losers. This budget doesn't have, like, a long list of losers, but the devil is often in the detail. And there is one thing that I think is a little, well, concerning, and that's that the government is expecting to save money by making new migrants wait for 4 years for most welfare payments. Now that's going to start on January the 1st, 2022. It's expected to save 671 million over 5 years. Now I had a few people on Twitter saying to me, well we're not taking m- many migrants, so does it even matter? Well yeah, if you look at the forward estimates, we are we do want to actually get back on we track need to. with migration we need to for our the for... economy is predicated Correct. on that. Correct. It just seems to me a little bit mean-spirited. It's a one-year wait now, am I right? Yeah, and it goes... I mean, that's a significant wish. Uh I don't know if that's the ethos of our country, but and the saving is significant, $671 million. Yeah, but it's a
1: saving there on the federal budget, but it's going to be an impost on all those services, the charitable, non-government, uh, not-for-profit services who have to support people who are living amongst us. We invite them in, we allow them to be here, and we give them those supports. You just can't be doing that mm. to people.
0: And watch this space with the cuts, because there's always secrets, we're all stuff you haven't even quite noticed. So, this is fresh recording this Wednesday morning, right after the budget, just so we can give you something, a bit of a taste. Watch that space though, and we will be reporting on it RN Breakfast, RN Drive, and of course, our extra edition, our usual edition of the party room tomorrow. Yes,
1: because too much budgets is never enough. Never. We like to have two bites at it, not just one. We will be in your feeds from Thursday, as per usual, as PK said, with our guest from Nine Newspapers, Shane Wright. PK,
0: It's been adorable. See you. Oh, lovely to hang out again, Fran. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to an ABC
1: podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.